Well, there's basically three kinds of people. And we can illustrate these three people in a variety of settings. So at school, first you have D's get degrees kind of folk. Only thing they really learn is how to game the system. But second, you have those who actually love being there. They love learning. Unfortunately, you slander them. What do you call them? Nerds. <laughs> and then third, you have those who see no point in gaming the system or learning at all. So, well, they drop out. At work, first you have those who do the bare minimum for the paycheck. You know they're going to get paid. They know they're going to get salary. So, you know, what's the point in doing anything else? Second, you have those who actually love what they do. They actually put real pride into their work. And that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? love dealing with these kind of people. And then third, you have those who don't do anything at all. In fact, sometimes they will do anything to get out of doing anything. <laughs> it's real impressive. And then there's church. There are those who say, how much do I have to show up to be on the books? How many sermon notes can I skip and still have the confirmation cake? <laughs> but then, there are those who take real ownership in the congregation because they realize when they're talking about church, when they're talking about the congregation, they're not talking about other people. They're talking about themselves. This is your place. And so they love taking ownership in the vineyard. And then, of course, there, there are those who don't believe and they're not members at all. Now, we can see these three kinds of people in our parable today. Those hired first first hour, they are the D's get degrees, the bare minimum for the paycheck kind of people. And you can see this. They are miserable. You can see this at the very end of the parable. Don't ask them to do anything else. But then, those hired later, and this is a varied group of people because they are hired at the third, sixth, ninth, and eleventh hour. At one time, these people didn't do anything. They were the last group. They were the lazy the sluggers, the drunkards, the nihilists, who saw no point in living. But then God invites them to actually do something. He changes their minds by changing and giving them something to do with their bodies. And you can see this especially with those hired at the 11th hour. Okay, he goes out, finds them. They've been hanging out at the bar all day, the 11th hour, still an expression we use, last call, and God says, what are you doing here? Why are you still not doing anything? It's almost over. And they say, nobody gave us anything to do. Now, whether or not that's true doesn't really matter because God says, well, hey, I got good news for you. You too go into the vineyard and work. And it's amazing because they actually go in and they love it. Now, the question for you is, what kind of person are you? Are you a grumbler? A malcontent? Or are you somebody who works joyfully in the vineyard, or you just avoid God, you avoid the vineyard altogether. Now, here's the gospel of the matter. Jesus Christ has paid for you to be here in the vineyard. He's paid the price. He's done all the work. That God starts the vineyard. He gets rid of all the rocks. He is the vine. You are the branches. But Jesus didn't die so that you could be lazy Jesus didn't die so that you could avoid him altogether. Jesus died to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. 
And so the question now is, how do we live? What's the Christian life look like? It's a very worthwhile question because you are living it every day. So you better start asking, what does it mean to be a Christian? How shall I live? Now that Jesus Christ has given me this incredible gift, what does that look like in my life? Now we're going to answer three questions today based on our parable that are especially pertinent to you and you should be asking them. The first is this, how do you view the work that God has given you to do? The second question is, what do you want out of life? It's real basic. And then the third is, what happens at the end? And this is the big perspective question. Sometimes when things aren't going very well, it helps to go to the very end to give you the eternal perspective on how all of this plays out. But first, how do you view the work that God has given you to do? Now, those hired first, they take what we will call the contract view. And you can see it in verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, the key word here is agree. The Greek word is symphonia, symphony. They made a sound together. That's what it means. It's a verbal contract. They both sign on the dotted line. You do this, I'll give you this. It's simple. Now, contracts have their benefits, especially when one guy isn't going to hold up his end of the bargain, and you can sue the pants off him. It's all fun and games, right? So contracts have their place, but contracts are no way to run a family. Prenups are always a bad sign. If my brother sins against me, I don't go up to him and say, hey, you violated policy 3.2. You don't do that in families. You don't need contracts, you don't need a handbook in a family because you know each other. And this makes all the difference in the world because those hired later, they don't take the contract view. It doesn't say they agree to anything. Verse four, the master says, you go into the vineyard too and whatever is right, I will give you. So if we're gonna use theological language, those who go in first, they are there according to the law. They signed a contract, it's a legal thing. But those hired later are not there according to the law, they're there according to a promise, according to the gospel. And they actually believe God when he tells them, whatever is right, I will give you. Now, what I'm about to say doesn't often get said from Lutheran pulpits. And there's a good reason for it, because often it turns into narcissistic pandering meant to inflame the gooey gooeys in your innards. Quite frankly, I'm not really about inflaming your gooey gooeys, but it's true. God has a purpose for your life. He gives you things to do. Now, the good Lutheran word is vocation. He gives each of you things to do. is a purpose. Now, my vocations, and you have several of them, husband, father, pastor, and you each have your own as well. Now, God is not an equal opportunity employer. He doesn't give you all the same things to do. He gives each different gifts and abilities. But because each of those things come from God and those vocations come from God, you each have equal dignity before God because you are all working for this for the glory of the Father. And since that's the case, we each have equal dignity. The stay-at-home mother has the same amount of dignity 
As the Fortune 500 CEO, the single person has as much dignity before God as those who are married and have five children. The question, though, becomes, how do you view that vocation or vocations that God has given you to do? Okay, do you take the contract view? Well, i got to do this. The bar's here, so I'm going to come right here. <laughs> no higher. What's the point in doing anything more? Because we're all going to get the same thing. Or do you love the things that God has given you to do simply because he has given them to you? Why do you love your family? Because they are your family, given to you from God. Why do you love your congregation? Because it is your congregation, given to you from God. And that kind of view makes all the difference in the world. That will affect how you view the things that God has given you to do. Now the second question is what do you want out of life? You ever ask yourself that? What do I want? Well, those hired first, they make it real clear it's all about the money. It's all about that denarius, but in a comparative sense, because God could have promised them, hey, I'll give you a million dollars, but as long as the other guy got a million dollars, they weren't going to be happy. What they really wanted is to do better than everybody else. And how does it work out for them? They are miserable. Comparison really is the thief of joy. So what should you want out of life? My friends, there's only one thing that you should desire, that can actually be given to you for all eternity. And we said it in our psalm. The one thing is this, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's real basic. Why do families get together and spend time together? So that they can spend time together. Don't overthink it. Why do you come to church? Because you love spending time with your God to worship him. And you love spending time with fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. When people say they don't love Jesus, but they want to go to heaven, it's going to be a miserable thing. Because what are we going to do in heaven? We're going to be spending a heck of a whole lot of time with Jesus. In fact, that's all we're going to be doing. It's like when people say, hey, I love Thanksgiving. I want to go to Thanksgiving dinner. I hate turkey, I hate stuffing, I hate the can marks on the cranberries. Well, what do you really want? You don't really want that. Now, on the other hand, if you desire to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that is your eternal goal, which it should be. Well, that's a good thing. And when you're here, you don't look at the people sitting next to you and you go, well, gee, that person hasn't been a Christian as long as I have. What are they doing here? No, what you do is you say, well, gee, by the grace of God who saved me, a poor, miserable sinner like myself, if he can do that, then of course he can save that person. And I'm just happy that they're here because now we get to spend eternity with our Heavenly Father and our brothers and sisters. The third question, what happens at the end of all of this? And I'm talking at the end of your life and at the end of all time. Well, here's what happens. We're all lined up. Starts with the last, goes to the first. Evidently, there's not an HR department because everybody can see what everybody else is getting. And it's the same thing. It's a denarius. It doesn't matter how long you worked in the vineyard. It doesn't matter even what your view was of that work in the vineyard. 
At the end of life, we all get the same thing. So what's the denarius? It's really the key to understanding the parable. The denarius is death. It's what everybody gets at the end. And people will say, well, that's not fair. But in actuality, it is. Because the wages of sin is death. But what makes all the difference in the world is how you receive that denarius, how you receive that death. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings. It's a fabulous quote. And if you can understand it, you will understand the parable. A divine punishment is also a divine gift if it is accepted. A divine punishment is also a divine gift if it is accepted. What does it mean? Well, it means that death is a divine punishment. It's God's punishment towards us. But if you accept it in faith, you have faith, your death becomes a gift because it becomes a portal to eternal life. And so there are two very different types of death. There is a curse of death and there is a blessed death. Now those who went into the vineyard first, they die a curse of death. Did you notice what the master of the vineyard told them? It's brutal. He says, take what's yours and go. Do you know what he's really saying? And I don't want to scandalize your good Midwestern sensibilities, but here's what the master of the vineyard's really saying. Take your stuff and go to hell. That's what he is saying in the parable. Because the denarius is not the reward. <coughs> Staying in the vineyard is the reward. Now those there by faith who receive that death, that denarius in faith, that makes all the difference in the world because they get to stay in the vineyard. Whatever God gives us, we accept, knowing that he will use all things, all things, even if it seems bad, for the good of those who love him. And even now, we are enjoying the wine of our salvation. I am confident of this, that he who has begun this good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.